Well, turning your Bibles to Genesis, go ahead and just get to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, that's the first place we'll get to. We're going to talk about other things before we get there. We're continuing this semester looking at what we call angels and demons. The truth is, uh, there's not a whole lot about good angels. Uh, there's a lot about bad angels. So a lot of the study is Satan and the bad angels, but it's still good how it all fits together. And we're seeing these spirit beings, they're, in, they're all throughout the Bible. We, we can't see them. Sometimes they manifest themselves in certain ways. Uh, we've seen that there are two big groups of angels. They're what we call the good angels. They're chosen. Sometimes they're called the chosen angels. Sometimes they're called holy angels. They serve God and men. And then there's the bad angels. They're fallen angels. Uh, sometimes they're called demons. They're evil, and they oppose God and men. So that we have that. And see, in our lives, sometimes we have this idea that people are the enemy. I mean, you'll, people will say, boy, that person, I can't believe what well, the person. The truth is, people aren't the enemies. The enemy is in Ephesians 6, 12. We struggle is not against what? Flesh and blood against people, but it's against rulers, powers, world forces of this darkness. Now, rulers and powers are talking about world spiritual forces of wickedness. We're not talking about human beings. We're talking about demonic things. So our battle is really, it's a, it's a battle against, you might say, God against Satan and that sort of things. We looked in the first four lessons about the good angels and how they, what they do and how they serve, and they serve both God and man. And then starting lesson five, we said we went to the dark side. And so we started looking at the devil, and there are really two big areas. The devil, who's the leader of the fallen angels, he's an angel. He was the anointed cherub. He was, he was created by God to guard the throne, and he was beautiful and everything, and he was lifted up in pride, and he decided he wanted to be God, and God removed him. And it's the best we can understand, and from the place over in Revelation where it says that his tail brought the third of the stars, many people believe that a third of the angels fell with the devil, and we call them demons. And so you've got good angels. And then you got the bad angels. You got the devil, who is the leader of the of the fallen angels. And uh, it, we've we've seen his background, his various activities. Last week we looked at his domain. That was what we went over in the in the passage. He's the god of this world. That's the cosmos. He's the god of this age, of this age, which is the word aeon, which is a different word, and it, it means that he controls not only the system but even uh, the the philosophy and the thoughts. I mean, look at the world. What does the world believe? The world believes just the opposite of what the Bible teaches. It's just the way it is. Well, this week we begin to focus on his relationship really to, to, to God, Jesus, and mankind. So tonight we're going to look at Satan's relationship with God the Father. And then we'll also, uh, when we get toward the end, we'll, we'll also uh, look a little bit about Jesus. And that will carry on to the next lesson. I want to give you several stories for a second. I was in Los Angeles for the Olympic Games in 1984. Somebody that was in a church that I was in at that time took me to the Olympic Games. It was, you know, I was a, a seminary student. I had absolutely no money. And he said to me, Do you, would you like to go to the Olympic Games? I went, of course I would like to go to the Olympic Games. I coached track for years. And I mean, you know, I, 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 in fact, I'd actually coached people in the Olympics. I was uh, coached some people in the 72 and the 76 games. This is the 84 games, so I wanted to go. We got there. We were downtown Los Angeles. I saw this man selling watches, and they were Rolex watches and designer purses, you know. And what do y'all think? You think they were Rolex watches and designer purses? No, they weren't. And I had a friend say, hey, don't even look over there. They're all counterfeit. They look like real Rolex, Rolex watches, but they're not. You ever bought something that's counterfeit? You ever saw something that's counterfeit? I had a cousin that she started working at a bank. And, he, and they said, she said, well, what am I supposed to do? He said, what I'm going to do for the first two days, I'm going to put you in a room, and I'm just going to have you count money. 
And as you count money, the 50s, 100s, 20s, you will recognize it. So if you see something that's counterfeit, you'll recognize it immediately because you've seen all the right stuff. And that's what she did. Sometimes counterfeit things look look real. I mean, that's what, when you think of Satan, he has that, he has that deal. Uh, we always go to the coast, to L.A., lower Alabama, and when we get there, we, we, on the way there, there's this peach place with Gene, they have to have peaches. I don't know. I, but so we stop, and we know the lady in there, so we went in there, and she's picking up peaches, and it just so happened, I had a $100 bill to pay it, and I gave it to her, and she has to take that little deal, you don't do it. She said, you know, I can believe this, two days ago, a guy handed me a counterfeit $100 bill, and I marked it, and I realized it, and he just looked at me, and I picked up the phone and called the police, and he ran out the door. So she said, I, I didn't, it didn't look counterfeit, but when I put that little deal down, it, it didn't do what it's supposed to do, or whatever. Not everything looks right. Satan has a false system. There are people who call themselves Christians who aren't Christians. There are people who think they're Christians who aren't Christians. Uh, think about Mormons. They call themselves Christians, but they have a total different view. That's a different Jesus, a different Bible, and a different way of salvation. I was at the Olympics, and I'm walking. We're walking, going into the, the, the big stadium, and I saw this whole group of people over there, and they had these signs, and it had Jesus' name on the signs. And so I thought, wow, that's okay. So I went over, and I said... Uh, I believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. And she put that sign and tried to hit me in the head with it. I was around. I thought, well, it must be a different Jesus, you know. <laughs> I didn't know what to think. But that's what happens. Sometimes you, Satan will have things, and it, it almost looks right, doesn't it? And it sounds right. And that, he's, he's just counterfeit. So when we see, when we see Satan and God the Father, we realize there is a great conflict. Satan is opposed to God. And the truth. And so as you're going down your thing, you'll see that there's, there's listen, how, you know, how many gods are there? The truth is there's only one God. There's only one God. And, 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 and some people say, well, are these other gods real? Because you've seen all throughout history, people worship false gods. I mean, if you, go, if you went to the city of Corinth, almost every home in Corinth had, a own, had their own personal god that protected their family, protected their home. Then they had gods all over the city. That's when Paul went to Athens and, and th those areas, he saw a statue to the unknown god. And they had gods everywhere. So Paul was pretty smart. He said, you know, you guys are really religious. He said, but you know, I found something. You got one to the unknown god. I'll tell you who he is. And he told him about Jesus. He's pretty smart. You know. So are there any, are there any false, real false gods not really they're they're not gods look at this right false gods are not really gods at all look at first corinthians 8 he says therefore concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols idols god we know there's no such thing as an idol in the world there's not and there's no there is no god but one there's, there's not really any other gods for even if they're so-called gods whether in heaven or on earth as indeed there are many god and many lords yet for there but for us there's just one god the Father from whom are all things we exist for, and one Lord, Jesus Christ. He says, listen, people worship false things all the time. I think one of the most unusual things to me was when you read over in Isaiah and some of the other places, and they'll talk about how a man will get a tree, and he'll cut it down, and half of the tree he'll make firewood, firewood and warm himself, and the other part he'll form an idol and worship it. He just cut down a tree, and now there's a God? I mean, that's what just shows you the, re you know, what, when, when people reject the true God, they will believe anything. 
I just want you to realize that. So here we so there's really there's one God. I've got there's one God who is the Father and one Lord who is Jesus who is the Christ. So that's on your little handout there, just giving you an idea as we look through this stuff where it goes. So with that in mind, we're going to look at the ministry of Satan. The relationship to God. And so let's start. And, and there's, you know, I don't know how long this lesson go because when I originally taught this, it was shorter time to give. So if we get through early, like always, we'll, well, like, you know, we're always through about, what, two minutes ahead. But well, we'll get through and we can open up for any questions you have about the lesson or anything. We always want to do that. So let's look at Satan, at the relationship. The first thing we're going to find, Satan opposes God. He does. That's, that's number one. This is his relationship to God. Satan opposes God. I want you to look at Genesis chapter 3. Just turn over there. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. And here's what, here's something, you know, you don't have, you can just write this anywhere you want to. But the bottom, but the bottom line is Satan does this. He opposes God and he says that you, he wants you to doubt God's love and doubt God's word. That's what he wants. He does it all the time in our lives. Uh, doubt God's love. If God really loved me, uh, I, I wouldn't have got sick. If God really loved me, I'd be married. If God wouldn't love me, I'd have a better job. If God really loved me, this wouldn't have happened to me and my family. If God, and that's what that Satan is putting that in your brain all the time. And then the other one is God's word isn't true. How many people have said, "Well, <laughs> they really." I mean, you think Jonah? was swallowed by a fish. I mean, that's ridiculous. There's no such thing. That's just a story. You think the Jewish people came out of Egypt and the water parted and they walked all the way through? Of course, we say, yeah, but a lot of people say, no. So watch what he does. He wants them, he wants Eve to doubt God's love and doubt God's word. Look at verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than the beast of the field. Now, we know who he is, right? Who is he? He's Satan which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, now watch what he says to her. Indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any, from any, uh, from, not eat from any tree of the garden? I mean, the bottom line is, you, you mean there's certain trees you can't eat from? If God really loved you, you could eat from every tree. Why do you think God is holding this thing back from you? If God really loved you, you could have eaten from any tree. So he's got, she's got a doubt. She goes, well, uh, uh, my husband actually told me that we could eat from all the trees in the garden, but from the tree in the middle of the garden, we don't need to eat or touch it. Now, God never said not touch it, but I'm sure Adam told the woman, don't touch the tree. Now, what's the second thing? He wants her to doubt God's what? Doubt God's love and doubt God's... Look at this next thing he says. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. What did he just do? He just lied to her, but he told her that God's word isn't true. God said, you know, said not to eat it, but God, because he goes on to explain, the day you eat from that tree, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And he lied to her, because she thought, ooh, if I eat from a tree, I'll be like God. Now, that's a big deal. But it is true. She was like God, because she would now know right from wrong. So he lied to her, as he always does, and he always does this on us. He wants you to think that God really doesn't love you. How do you feel when you sin? You go, blah, 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 I blew it again. Lord, I don't know. I don't know how many times you're going to take me back. Maybe you're not going to take me back this time. See, Satan says, that's right, that's right. He doesn't really love you. I mean, could, could he love somebody like you? I know people that think God doesn't love them. He wants you to doubt his love. And then he wants you to doubt the word. 
And the word says, my God shall supply all your needs. I don't know how we're going to make it. He's going to supply all your needs. He always does. Always will. So he opposes God. He attacks the character of God. He calls God a liar. And I mean, this is, this is a, so he attacks the character of God. Doubt God's love. Doubt God's word. Just watch your life. When you begin to doubt something, it's going to be one of those two things. Like, if God really loved me, why didn't I get that promotion? Why didn't I get in grad school? Why, why did this happen to my cousin? I mean, just and if God really loved me. And, and can we depend on everything written in the Word of God? We can. But some people say, well, you know, some of this over here. Well, I mean, it's not even for us. It's not even for us. And we got Andy Stanley telling people that we don't need the Old Testament at all. In fact, we shouldn't even try to defend it. Where's that coming from? Think about it. Okay, here's the second thing. The second thing, oh, by the way, because God, listen to this. You'll love this. God is love and life. First John 4, 8, God is love. John 14, 6, he's the way, the truth, and the life. So God is love and life. This is not, I don't think it's a hand, it's not a, it's not a blank, is it? No. So, but that's who it is. But look at this, look at this. Satan is hating death. Hebrews 2, 14 says he has the power of death. The devil. Because sin, wages of sin is, death always comes from sin. Satan's a sinner. Satan's a liar. Satan hates us. And so when we look at this, so the first thing we see that God, that Satan really is opposed to God at everything. The second thing, now this is going to take a little bit because I think we've got to go through this. The second one is Satan has a counterfeit system. We're watching it on Sunday morning, aren't we? You, you got, what happened? What happened? There's, a, there's a, the devil and the beast and the false prophet. That's the, that's the false what? That's false trinity. What happens to the Antichrist? He dies and comes back from the dead. What does that sound like? I mean, it's a false system. So let's start like this, and I'm going to put, I, I think, like three or four up at a time. Just write, this, you can do it as a, the first one is, God rules all creation, all things. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. Nothing is outside his will. Even in a fallen world system that God allows Satan to control, God is still ultimately in control of all things. You got that? Satan is a counterfeit. He rules this world, and he's the God of this age and this time period. But he doesn't rule all creation. He would like to. He's a counterfeiter. Okay? We got that one. That's in Ephesians 2, 2. If you want to put out a verse out by where he rules the God of this age, Ephesians 2, 2 talks. He walks according to the prince of the power of the air. That's how we lived. Okay? So our God rules everything. Satan thinks he's the ruler, but he just rules a fallen world. Uh, God is called the Most High God. In the, in the Old Testament, the name for God is El, right? Y'all know that? And Elohim is the plural name for God. And then there's a name called El Elon, which means God Most High. And that's a powerful name. YHWH Yahweh is the personal name of God. Adonai means the Lord or the Master. There's all kind of names. Uh, El Shaddai is a name. There are all kind of names. But the, the, He is the Most High God. Satan wants to be the Most High God. Yeah, it's funny. Satan wants to be a God, but what is he? What is he? He's an angel. Yeah, yeah. Okay, here's the third one is God has a Savior. Who is that? That's Jesus Christ. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes will never perish, but they'll be saved and have what? Eternal life. Salvation is a gift. God says, I have a Savior. I've so loved the world, I've given my son. Well, Satan has a Savior. He's the Antichrist. And and, and we saw in the... the, uh, 
Listen to this. I want to read this to you. You don't have to turn there. But this is in Revelation, what we just read. Listen to this. In Revelation 13, three different times it says, I saw one of the heads of the, of the Antichrist, basically, as if it had been slain, and a fatal wound was healed. Then later on, in verse 12, he says, He exercises all the authority of the first beast. He makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. And then later in 14, he deceives the whole world and he wants to make an image to the beast, the one who had been the wound of the sword and come to life. In one chapter in the book of Revelation, three times it says he died and came back from the dead. Now we talked about it Sunday morning and uh, Satan can't give life. So if he actually died, I think God raised him from the dead on purpose. Or whether he actually died or not, we don't know. It looks like he did. Anyway, and when that's what it's going to look like then. It's going to look like he did. And then there are many antichrists. First John 2, 18 says, Antichrist is just anybody opposed to Christ. So Satan has a Savior himself, and, and, and it's the antichrist. Then Jesus is the seed of woman. Uh, Genesis three fifteen, the seed of woman will crush the head of the serpent. Uh, the the seed of the serpent is Satan. So when you look at the world and all of this, there is the seed of woman... And that's Jesus. And then there's the seed of uh, the serpent. And who is the serpent? Satan. And that is the Antichrist. Basically, the devil all, it's the devil all the way through. It's, it's all of his stuff all the way through. That's why it's always a battle. He's the, if you go back to Genesis 3.15, you, you can trace the plan. Listen, we've done this many times, but think about this. Jesus is the seed of woman. Who will crush the head of the serpent? Jesus is the seed of Abraham who will bless the whole world. Jesus is the son of David who's the king of kings and lord of lords. Jesus is the son of man who sets up a kingdom that never ends. Jesus is the son of Mary who is both savior and king. Jesus is the son of God who is well-pleasing to the Father. And Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Isn't that beautiful? That's all the way through the Bible. That just takes you all the way through the Bible from this beginning. So the seed of woman, and, and we're going to talk in a little bit about how the serpent has always wanted to destroy the seed of the woman or stop him from coming. What would be Satan's greatest thing that he could do? If he could have done it. He can't do it. It's already passed. What would be the greatest thing that he could do? So, what? Just keep Jesus from what? Going to the cross. That, that, that would be the greatest thing he could ever do. That, well, that's, but he couldn't do it. We're going to look at it later on. All right, let's look at this one. God, God is called the Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. And Satan's called the Prince of the World, the Prince of the Power of the Air. That's another verse you can put for Ephesians 2, 2, because it kind of goes together there. And uh, By the way, talk about the Prince of Peace. All right, before, let's put, as an unbeliever... You're, you're, you're uh, an enemy of God. Is that right? Then you believe in Jesus and you become what? A child of God. And, what, and that you, you are, now you have peace with God and you have peace of God. Do you know the difference? Romans 5.1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We were enemies of God. When you believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life, you now have peace with God. You're no longer enmity with God. You're actually his child. And then the peace of God 
How do, how do you get the peace of God? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. So as Christians, we go through life, we can have the peace of God because we believe in Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. That's why he is the Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. And they, he, Satan is the Prince of this world. Okay, with that in mind, let's go. The Holy Spirit. Wow. Now, this is something that you may not have ever thought of. The Holy Spirit is the one that reveals the information about Jesus Christ. Listen, when, let me just draw this up here just for a second. I'll go fast. But when you think about the Godhead, there's the Father and the what? And the Son and the Holy Spirit. I'll just put Holy Spirit like that. And we know that's the Trinity and that's God. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Son is not the Father. The Father's not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Son. They're all three different. And in God's plan, the Father came up with the plan, the Son carried out the plan, and the Holy Spirit reveals the plan. The Holy Spirit comes into the fallen world system and convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. If you want to write down John 16, 8 through 11, okay? That's under where it says the Holy Spirit reveals, <clears throat> John 16, 8 through 11. You understand that all we like sheep have what? Each one has gone our, uh, there's none who seeks God. There's not any. So how in the world can anybody be saved? Because the Holy Spirit convicts the world. Now, he doesn't make people believe. He convicts them of the fact that they haven't believed. And some people will believe and some people what? Will not believe. So that's the Holy Spirit's job. The false prophet under Satan deceives. In Hebrews chapter 13, and I think I'm, I mean, sorry, I'm sorry. Revelation chapter 13, verse 14, it says this. And he, this is the, the, the false prophet, he deceives all who dwell on the earth because of the signs which are given to him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the sword and come back. It was given to him, give breath, and he wanted them to worship the image of the beast. Just like the Holy Spirit reveals to us who Jesus is and we believe, the false prophet deceives the world and tells them to believe that the Antichrist is the Messiah. Wow. You, you listen, you, you don't want to be there, right? We don't want to be there. We know that when you believe in Jesus Christ, you have eternal life, and when Jesus comes in the clouds, takes us out, then there comes that tribulation time period. And everyone who's a believer uh, in this age, so to speak, this church age, will never have to worry about the tribulation time period. But there are going to be people who have never believed in Christ, and they are going to go through this tribulation time period. It's going to be the worst time. Jesus said it's the worst time that's ever existed, ever has been, or ever will be. It's going to be that bad. So the Holy Spirit reveals. Okay, then there, the, the, God has a gospel message, right? 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, I deliver to you first importance, which I also received that Christ died for our sins according to Scripture, that is buried and rose again the third day according to the Scripture. The gospel message is the death and resurrection of Christ. What's the response to the gospel message? And what's the offer? You got it. Well, you guys know it. Man, that's so exciting. So there's the gospel message. But he has a false gospel. I have to read you Galatians. You know, Paul, picture yourself as Paul. And, and, uh, and I can picture myself as Paul because he was a little guy and he didn't have any hair. And uh, uh, his lips were all messed up. That's what I heard anyway. <laughs> can you imagine going into that part of the world and leading people to Christ and telling them that it's faith alone and Christ alone and he's the Savior and they all believe. And then you leave and somebody comes in and says... 
If you don't keep the Mosaic law, you can't be saved. And if you don't do this, you can't be saved. And Paul found out. And so he writes the book of Galatians, which is a letter to the churches of Galatia. And here's what he says. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him, talk about Christ, who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. He said, you're going after a different good news message, which is not really another good news message. There are some who are disturbing you. And then he says this, and they want to distort the gospel. And so he says this, even if we are an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we've already preached to you, he is to be accursed. Let me say it again. I'll say it now. If any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. How important is it to be clear on the gospel? You know, people say it doesn't matter. Oh, just tell them. Tell them to ask Jesus in their life. Tell them to, to do this. Tell them to walk down an aisle. Tell them they got to get baptized. Tell them they got to do this. Listen, Paul says it is a contrary to gospel. And that he said, if I or he's Paul says, if I even came back and said, I was wrong. I got a new gospel. You, you should say to me is, get out of town. If an angel came, has an angel ever come and given another gospel? Yeah, this called Mormonism. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so Paul says, that we under God, we got, a, we got the good news message. Satan has a false message. And it's always what? What is it? It's always got to be what? It's always works. It's always you do something to get to God. You have to do something to get to God. And, and not by works of righteousness will we done, but according to his mercy to save us. By grace we've been saved through faith and not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Knowing that a man's not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And we have believed in Christ. We might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. By the works of the law, no flesh can be justified. Look, all those verses say what? It's not works. Satan's message is, you better be good. And if you, if you, can, you can be good, but I'm going to tell you what, if you're not really good, you're going to lose it. Or if you're not really good, you didn't get it. I mean, that's a horrible message. That's why you've got people in this community that, that they don't even have a clue whether they're going to heaven or not. They don't even know what they believe. They don't even know what to believe. They've been taught all their lives. You try to do, just, be, you know, be good, go, go to church, be good, do all the right stuff, best you can, that kind of thing. That's what they think. And that's not a message from the Bible. Of course, the problem is so many churches don't even open the Bible anymore, so they can't get the message. Okay, let's go up to the next one. All right, uh, God has a biblical doctrine, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures inspired by God, and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So there is a true, it's called, by, by the way, it's called the faith. The faith is the body of truth you believe, which we'd say is the Bible. That's why when Paul says to one group, he says, uh, test yourself to see if you're in the faith. He's not saying test yourself to see if you're saved. He's saying test yourself to see if you're living by the Scripture. That's what he's talking about. Though Satan has a false, a false doctrine. Let me read this to you. This is what is, what is it? First Timothy 4.1. Listen to this. Wow. In, the Spirit says in the latter times. When are the latter times? When did the latter times begin? When did the last days begin? At the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, from the time Jesus died and rose again, we're in the last days. That's what both Hebrews tells us. So the Spirit explicitly says, in the latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrine of demons. In Second Timothy, it says, they have a form of godliness, but they have denied such power. The power of God. 
So there's false doctrine, there's false teaching. Listen, you can hear it everywhere. You can see it everywhere. Sometimes just people come to me and say, hey, I was listening to this guy on this YouTube deal, and he said this. I said, look at him, and I go, do you think that's right? And they go, well, no, it's not right. I said, why are you listening to that guy? I mean, let's don't listen to stuff that's wrong. My gracious. So anyway, so false doctrine. Then they, we have, God has ministers, ambassadors. Second Corinthians 5.20, we're ambassadors for Christ as though God were beseeching through us. First Corinthians 4.2, we're stewards, we're to be found faithful. That's, that's what we're supposed to do. I mean, it's really, really powerful. And uh, oh, oh, by the way, if you want to put up by number eight, also put John 17.17 17, because it says thy word is true. Because it's biblical doctrine. It's true. John 17, 17. Um, and the ministers, we, we've, the key is faithfulness. By the way, let's just stop for one second and just understand that are we all going to live the same number of time, years? No. Do we all have the same time on this earth? No. Do we all have the same gifts, talents, and abilities? No. Uh, so how is God going to reward us? Because what if a person believes in Jesus when they're 20 and they live for 60 years serving him and they died 80 years old and they served him for 60 years and then someone else believes in Jesus at 20 and they serve him and they're in a car wreck at 25 he's going to say gosh you only got five years so you don't get near the rewards no 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 what's the basis faithfulness faithful with the time that he has you and the times with the gifts that you have that's all he says is required of stewards to be found faithful we're ambassadors for christ well he has the satan has false ministers they come as angels of light in fact in second corinthians 11 13 14 and 15 if you want to just write those down listen to this second corinthians 11 i mean 13 i think i got that right Oh, listen to this. He has, this is talking about Satan. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, distinguish themselves as apostles of Christ. For no wonder even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. It's not surprising his servants disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Listen, he has people out there, and they, they act holy and righteous, and they, they act like they're right, but they're actually deceiving people. You remember the passage in Peter where it says, you know, don't be carried away by the error of unprincipled men. There are people out there who know what they teach is wrong, and they teach it on purpose. Let me just tell you, they know that's called a false teacher. They know what they're teaching. There are people who teach things wrong, and if you, if you could show them from the Scripture, they would go, oh, my gosh, well, I always thought, I always heard that other thing. Boy, this is great. But a false teacher knows what they're teaching is wrong. You know, there are, there are people out there who teach some wrong things, I mean, I probably, I don't know. I may teach some wrong things. I just don't know if they're wrong. I mean, you know, maybe one day I'll go, ooh, I, I just found something, you know. But anyway, bottom line is there are people who teach things that are wrong that aren't necessarily false teachers, but there are false teachers. And, and Matt, Jesus talked about it in Matthew, uh, that, and they're called apostles or false, false teachers. They're false ministers. So Satan, remember, this is all trying to be just like God, everything that he does. That's why the Bible says, study to show yourself approved of work, but need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You need to know what you believe and why you believe it. That's why we teach 412. That's why we teach the 2-2 studies, because those give you the foundational, basic, doctrinal truths that you need to know and understand so that when people start talking to you or they're saying this, you can say, no, no. How you know 
that you're growing as a believer is that as over there in Corinthians where it says, no longer tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. When you can say, I know what I believe and why I believe it, and just because the guy on the radio said something, that doesn't mean it's right because I already know what I believe. That's where you begin to mature. Okay, the last one is, is in Jesus. In Jesus, he's the way, the truth, and the life. Matthew 7 says, Broad is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that gives, leads to life. How many times have you ever heard somebody say, it's narrow because you've really got you to really, be really good, you've got to do right things so you can get through that narrow gate. How many of you ever heard something like that? Yeah. What, what makes it narrow? It's the only way. Broad is the way that leads to destruction because there are all kind of different ways. And so when you look at Jesus as the way and the truth, John 17, 17, and the life, while Satan has a broad way rather than narrow way, he's a liar, John 8, I think that's John eight forty four, isn't it? Uh, I, I didn't check that, but it's John eight forty four, I think. And then he brings death and destruction. Jesus Christ gives life. So next time you hear somebody say, you know, you've got to really get your act together and live right because it's narrow the way to get to God. No, no, no. It's narrow because it's the only way. That's how it is. Okay? So that, that's some beautiful stuff there. Wouldn't you think? That's some great stuff. Wow. Okay, so we're seeing this. He has, a, as we get to the end, we see that uh, Satan counterfeits God, his plan, and his purpose. That's what he wants to do. He, he wants, he really would love, well, I mean, the truth is, he wants to be God. And you know, people you know, ask me all the time, do you th- what do you think Satan knows? I, he's a lot smarter than us, I can tell you that. And he's an angel and he's a lot more powerful than we are. Uh, and some people say, do you think Satan knows the end of the Bible? I think he does. I think he knows that ultimately he's never going to win. Now he may, in, in his own pride, think, I may rewrite this thing, you know, or something. But the time is coming. Uh, but what, he, what is his plan for you? Uh, let's say this, what's his plan for an unbeliever? Never to believe. He doesn't care if you're religious or not. In fact, he'd like you being religious. He just don't want you to ever believe in Jesus for eternal life. What's his plan for you? That don't, he didn't want you serving. He didn't want you growing. He didn't want you studying the Bible. He didn't want you using your gifts, talents, and abilities. That's what he wants. So with that in mind, let's look. At, let me look at the clock. I think we're in good shape. Let's look at the ministry of Satan and his relationship to Jesus. And when we think about the, uh, the relationship to Jesus, the, listen, the, here, the devil, here's Jesus, okay? And he's always existed, right? He's the eternal one. Well, at a point in time, somewhere, somehow, Satan was created. He's an angel. And so when we start talking about the relationship between these two, uh, it's not an eternal type relationship because Satan has always existed. He's created being. And so the devil had a beginning. Jesus always existed. You remembered the conflict. And we, if you saw that, we remember we went back to Genesis a while ago. But in Genesis 3.15, here's what God says. I will put enmity between you and the woman. Okay, this is Satan he's talking about. And between your seed, Satan's seed, and her seed. Satan's seed is really him. And her seed is Jesus. He shall bruise you on the head. And you shall bruise him on the hill. And people have always said, what in the world does all that mean? And, and, and the bottom line is saying that you're going to hurt Jesus, but he's going to destroy you. And so that's really what it boils down to. And so the word enmity really means hatred. He said, I'm going to put enmity there. There's going to be a hatred that you have. Think about this, y'all. Does Satan hate Jesus? Does Satan hate you? Does Satan hate all Jewish people? I mean, because why? Why does Satan hate Jewish people? 
They gave us, they gave us the Messiah and they gave us the Bible. Oh, he hates them. He's always hated them. There's, and there will be hate for the woman. There'll be hate for Jesus. There'll be hate for the Jewish people. There'll hate for believers. And if you notice, um, let's see, I think it's the, the cross of Christ is the head of everything. I mean, that's, that's going to be the key. I think it's, you don't have to even worry about that right this second. I want to show you this next one. Jesus will bruise Satan's head. What does that mean? I've got it for you. Jesus will bruise Satan's head. What does that mean? He's going to crush him. It's destroyed. And we're going to talk about it in a minute. When did it happen that Jesus crushed Satan's head? What? When? When? Huh? Okay. Well, uh, on the cross. His death on the cross to pay for the sins of the world is the bottom line. Okay, now look at this. Okay, victory over sin and death, death and resurrection, pay for sin, conquering death, all of that is how he destroyed basically Satan. Satan will bruise Jesus' heels. How? Because he's going to suffer and die and be separated from the Father. Did I, was that just a noise? Huh? No, oh, that was in the other room? Tell those kids to shut No, I'm just kidding. Okay, we love them. We love them. I don't care how much noise they make. Okay, so here, here's the deal. Have you ever thought about what's going to happen to Jesus when he goes to the cross? He has never been separated from the Father or the Holy Spirit in, for all eternity. On the cross, Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you what? And why did he say, my God, my God? My God, the Father, my God, the Spirit, why have you forsaken me? That's, that's a pretty big bruise, right? It was a horrible thing. Take it all. Can you imagine taking every sin of every person who ever has existed, who is existing now, who ever will exist, and all those sins were placed on him at one time? It's, it's, beyond, it's beyond comprehension. Beyond comprehension. This is the story of the Bible. You've heard me say it. It's in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. The perfect God brings sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. That's the story of the Bible. I've had people say, the story of the Bible is the sovereignty of God. I said, no, it's not. It's not at all. The story of the Bible is just salvation. Well, what salvation? Justification, salvation. Sanctification, salvation, and glorification. That's really the story of the Bible is reconciliation. How God brings man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. Wow. So that's, 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 that's getting down there. So let's do this. Let's talk about the victory of Jesus over Satan. When did this really happen? What shows the victory of Jesus over Satan? It's in Colossians. It says, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us. What is that? What is the certificate of debt had decrees against us? What is that? Huh? Does anybody know? It's, it's the law. What does the law tell you? Do this. What does the law make you do? Sin. The law makes you sin. You know that. If I told you that you can't walk on the sidewalk, the first thing you want to do is say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to walk on that sidewalk. If you walk by and it says, please do not look through this hole. What do you say? I'm going to look through the hole. Law makes you sin. Having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees, which was hostile to us, he has taken it out of the way, nailed it to the cross. When he disarmed who? Who did he disarm? The rulers and authorities. He made public display of them, having triumphed over them through him, through Christ. Who is this rulers and authorities? That's Satan. That's the angel. That's the bad angels. He, he, in, in a public way, he destroyed everything they've ever tried to do. 
by eliminating the whole debt thing. And he did it. And then that's why First Peter 2.24 says, He bore in our body, and, excuse me, He bore in His body our sins on the cross. And so this is the triumph on the cross. Okay? The triumph on the cross. Wow. I mean, I'm just amazed at this. When you think about it, that that's the greatest victory of all. And so, in reality, what looked like the worst thing that could ever be Jesus going to the cross dying. That you'd say, there he is, he's on the cross dying. And, 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 and as for the Jewish people, what did they say to the religious leaders? They came by and said, if you're really the son of God, come down off the cross. If he's really the son of God, he can't come down off the cross because he's dying for us. And then they said, if you come down to the cross, we'll believe in you. They wouldn't have believed in him then. They didn't believe in him. Every miracle he did, they never believed anything. He healed people right in front of them. Guy had a bad arm. He fixed the arm. They went out and said, let's destroy him. He just did a great deal. And they, all they wanted to do was to kill him and destroy him. The greatest thing that ever happened is Jesus died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again. That's the greatest victory. That's the triumph of the cross. And look what happened. This verse says, now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be what? Cast out. And Jesus says, And if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw what? All men to myself. He was saying this to indicate the kind of death which he was to die. How did Jesus die? He was what? Lifted up on the cross. That's why I love the, the John 3.16 passage where Jesus says to Nicodemus, You know, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... So must the Son of Man be lifted up. They lifted up a serpent on a pole in the wilderness when they got bit by a snake. And all they had to do was look up there and they wouldn't die. Jesus says, I'm lifted up on a pole and all you have to do is look to me and guess what? You won't die. I'll give you life. And judgment, the, the ruler of this world will be cast out. When is the ruler of the world cast out? We just studied it. On Sunday mornings. When Satan and Michael have the battle and Lucifer is removed from the heavenly places. See, right now, Satan can go to heaven. He can go up to God. He can accuse you. And he does accuse you. But he's going to be kicked out. And, when he does, and if I'm lifted, listen, the ruler, I'm lifted up from the earth. I'm going to draw all men to myself. He didn't mean everybody's going to believe in me. He said, but me being lifted up, that's the message that will draw people. And he was saying this to indicate the kind of death which he was to die. He made sure they understand that. Now, let's do this with some time, and then we probably will have some time to do questions. The plan of Satan would be somehow to stop Jesus from dying on the cross and paying for sin. Because what's the worst thing that could happen for Satan? That Jesus paid for all the sin, and whoever believes in him is then what? We'll say, have we eternal life? So Satan says... I got to stop this. Now, you go all the way back to Adam and Eve and the seed of woman and Satan. And we've talked about this before. God made a world, right? And he created it in six days, rested on the seventh. He created man on the sixth day. He then told man, he said, Adam, you're the king. You're the king of the world. You'll have dominion over all the animals, all the fish, all the sea, everything. You'll have dominion over everything. You're going to rule this whole world. And guess what? Uh, this is your world. And, and Adam probably went, are you kidding me? This is great. And I like the garden. It's really nice. And then he brought all the animals by, and he named them all. And then he said, something isn't right. And God said, I know. It doesn't match you. We're going to get somebody for you. And so he got Isha, Eve. And so th there they are. 
he's king of the world. And the only thing that would be wrong would be eat from one particular tree. Everything else is right. What if in your life there was only one wrong thing? Do you know what you'd do? You'd do it. I would do. We're bad. We're, uh, so anyway, Satan came and said, why can't you eat from all the trees? He doesn't really love you, and I don't. His word is bad. He's a liar. God's a liar, and he doesn't want you to have the tree, because if you have the tree, you'll know right from wrong, and you'll be like God. And sure enough, they ate it, and they like God. And guess what happened? You're not the king anymore. Where did he go? They removed him from the garden. And they had a, a what, who was guarding it? A flaming angel, you know. And so Satan now became the what? He's the king of the world. It's a fallen world. It's a fallen world. Who's the king of the world? Satan's the king of the world. And if you say, when Jesus was being tempted, and Satan said to him, if you'll bow down to me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Jesus couldn't Jesus have said, you ain't the king? No, he is the king. God allows Satan to be the God of this age, the king of this world. But somebody, but a, a good day's coming. Because right here, he died and rose again. And he's the king. And he's the coming king. And one of these days in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, the heavens are going to open. And this king is coming back to this earth to rule on this earth for a thousand years. And he's going to say to Satan, you are not king of the world and then Jesus will be the king of the world for all eternity that's why he's called the second Adam or actually he's called the last Adam which is better because if there was if you say second Adam it implies there could be a third Adam but he's the last Adam the first Adam failed the last Adam succeeded Satan's plan somehow to stop Jesus so how could he how could he do this well how could he do it let's start back and you got right there just write Genesis 6 do you know the story? Now, if you don't know the story, it's going to be one of the wildest stories you've ever heard. But I want you to understand that the best that we can understand in Genesis chapter 6, that angels, some bad angels, came, took on forms of men, and had sex, and married earth women, regular women, and they produced offspring called the Nephilim. And what they were trying to do was to p p pollute the human race, so there couldn't be a true man come through there and be the savior of the world. The sons of God took the daughters of men, angels having sex with people. And we know that. How did God deal with that? By what? The flood. He caught the flood on and wiped out all the people except Noah and uh, Ham, Shem, and Japheth and their three wives and his wife. So eight people got on the ark. And God protected them and saved them so that there would be true people to carry on with the thing. And some of the, oh, let me go back here. I want you to understand that those angels that did that, where are they now? They're in the heart of the earth in a place called Tartarus, and they're locked in there until God judges them. That's why when the angels that were on, the, the demons that were on the earth, when they'd see Jesus, and they'd say, oh, son of God, have you come to judge us before our time? They all know that they're all going to be judged by God. Okay? Second way, how about this one? How about when, they, so for some great reason, when they were in Egypt, that the Pharaoh decided to kill all the Hebrew boy babies? If you kill all the Hebrew boy babies, you're not going to have a boy. You're not going to have someone to come as the Messiah and the Savior. So how did God save that one? Have you ever thought about how amazing it was? So here's, this, here's Amram and Jochebed, and they have a baby boy. And according to the law, what do you do with the baby boys? 
you have to drown them. You have to get rid of them. And they said, they said, according to Acts chapter 6, that they knew he was special. And they said, we can't do it. So she said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll put him in a little basket and, and put him out in the water. And maybe somebody will come along and get him. And then we'll be okay. And she put him out there, floating around. Pharaoh's daughter comes out and says, I think I'll bathe today. What is that? What's that? Thought? Get out there and get that basket for me. And take out the basket, open it up. Little baby cried. She went, oh, my goodness. It's one of those Hebrew boys. I want him. I want Daddy, will, he can't stop me from having this baby. And we call him what? Moses. Why? Because it means to draw out. She drew him out of the water. And guess what? Moses' sister, Miriam, happens to be standing by and says, Would you like me to get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? She said, That's a good idea. Who nursed him? Moses' mother. She didn't really lose him, did she? God protected him. They kept going. And then, of course, Moses let them out, kept the whole nation. How about this one? Esther and Haman. Haman, Mordecai wouldn't bear down to Haman. Haman's a bad old man. And Haman says, you know what I'm going to do? He's a Jew, and I'm going to kill every Jew in the kingdom. i got enough money. I can talk to the king, and the king will do it. And I'll just tell him there's some bad people in the kingdom. They don't obey the rules, and I will pay a bunch of money, and we'll wipe them all out. And the king didn't even think about it and said, here, take my ring. Good idea. And everybody realizes on the Feast of Purim or the Feast of Lights, the case of Lights, that on a certain day, every Jew is going to be killed. And if every Jew is killed, where's the Messiah going to come from? Nowhere. But Esther was raised up for such a time as this. And she goes, I love the story. I lo you know, everybody, and I, I know I'm running out of time, but do you know the story where she calls him for the banquet? Here's Haman. He thinks he's so smart because he's gotten invited to the banquet. And here's the king. And the king says, what do you want? And it looks like she freezes. And maybe she does. She says, uh, could you come back tomorrow for another banquet? Well, that had to happen because that night the king couldn't sleep. And so he said, bring something in here to read that will make me fall asleep. And it was the Chronicles. And it said, Mordecai saved the king's life. And he went to Mordecai. What happened to Mordecai? Nothing. You honor him. Let's honor him. And, I mean, it changes everything. And, of course, Haman gets killed. And the Jews celebrate Purim. And, and you know, people say, those stories in the Bible aren't true. Well, if they're not true, why are the Jews celebrating Purim? And let me tell you something. If there wasn't a Feast of Lights, why are they celebrating Hanukkah? You know, and there wasn't a Passover, why are they celebrating Passover? I mean, just think about it. So it's all right there. Let's look at this next one. Ah, Herod. Yeah. Well, he was such an evil man. He was a brilliant man, but an evil man. And the wise men, after a two-year journey, comes to him and says, Where is he that has been born king of the Jews? We saw a star in the east. We've come. Here, who thinks he's the king of the Jews, even though he's not Jewish, he says, uh, I don't really like the sound of this. i tell you what, let me call some religious leaders. Where's that baby supposed to be born, that Messiah? Oh, Bethlehem, six miles away. He says, wise man, why don't you go find the guy? When you find the baby, let me know. And he said, about what time did you first see the star? And they said, about two years ago. So they left down there. They found the baby and warned by an angel to leave. They left. And when Herod found out, wait a minute, they didn't come back. An angel warned Joseph and they said, you better get to Egypt because Herod's going to kill all the what? The boy babies. If, if he'd have killed him, there would be no Messiah. But God protects them again, as always.
Oh, this one, this is weird, isn't it? Peter didn't want Jesus to go to the cross. You know that, right? When Peter said, and when Jesus said a number of times, listen, we're going to Jerusalem. We handed over to the religious leaders. Then I'll be handed over to the Romans. They'll kill me. I'll stay dead three days, and then I'll come back from the dead. And they went, what's he talking about? Anybody know what he's talking about? And so Jesus says, who do you think? Who does everybody say that I am? Ah, you're Elijah, you're John, the Baptist, you're one. He said, who do you say that I am? Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of God. He went, that's the best answer you've ever given. And he said, and by the way, I'm just going to go to Jerusalem to be killed. And Peter said, we will not let that happen to you. And what did Jesus say? Get behind me what? Satan. That's a plot. Satan said, Satan doesn't want Jesus to die on the cross. And Peter went, oh, I had a real good answer, and then I had a real bad answer. That's Peter. That's just like us. He has to die and pay for sin. How about this one? Judas. Possessed by the devil to betray Jesus. He's got to stop it somehow. Who knows what will happen. I'm surprised that Satan wasn't there trying to convince Pilate not to crucify him in some way. But the religious leaders stirred up the crowd who had just said days earlier... Hosanna, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. By the way, Hosanna, what do you think Hosanna means? Everybody says, Hosanna in the highest. It means save us. And that's what it means. They're, they're, he's marching in. He's riding in on the donkey. And they're all coming and they're all saying, save us. Blessed is he. They're saying he is the Savior. That's what the, that's what the triumphal entry was all about. But Judas, he... He's the last of the ones there. So it's a, a lot of stuff, a lot of powerful stuff. Okay, so uh, the the final aspect, and this is the one, if you, you don't have to go to the next page, but the final aspect is going to be the temptation of Jesus by the devil. Now, we're going to see that next week. That's, that's going to be the next lesson. But think about this. Who put Jesus in the wilderness to be tempted? The Holy Spirit and the Father. Yeah. And what had Jesus just done when he went to the wilderness? He got baptized. And people, people get all, people say, yeah, everybody, you better be baptized. Jesus was baptized. Baptism just means identification. Jesus came and was, at, John the Baptist was identifying all these people with the kingdom. Jesus came and identified it with fallen man. That's why he got baptized. He said, fulfill the righteousness. I'm, I am coming to be identified with fallen mankind. I'm going to die for them. Then we get baptized. Why do we get baptized? It has anything to do with salvation? No, we get baptized because we're showing we're identified with Christ. And just as Jesus died and rose again, we die and rise again to come back to a newness of life. So we're going to see the temptation by the devil next week. And we're going to see what did he say? What was Satan's plan to stop Jesus? Because that's what he always does. His plan is to stop Jesus. The book of Revelation, when, he, when it gives us the, 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 the thing where they go back in history. And he says, here's the woman about to give birth to the child. And Satan is there to devour the child. That was his plan. But he couldn't do it. He can't do it. Okay, so we've seen Satan relation to, Satan relationship to the Father and his conflicts, and he opposes God, and he, he wants to look like God, and everything is that way. And then uh, his plan was to stop Jesus from going to the cross. So let me give you some applications, and then we'll look at the quiz, and then we'll open up for questions. Qu qu here's the application. You can just write them. I just decided to put them all up there at one time. 
Let's understand Satan's plan against God and mankind. What's his plan against God? He wants to be God, okay? What's his plan against mankind? To stop us in any way. And, and listen, it's take as many people to what? To hell as he could. Let, let us know Satan opposes God and copies God. That's what we saw in all those ten things, how he tries to have everything. The false trinity, the false savior, the false message, the false, false everything. And you know what? Think about this. What's one of the signs of a cult? What do they always have? Something other than the what? The Bible. They always have the Pearl of Great Price, the Covenant Doctrine and Covenants. They have a different Bible. They have the writings of Mary Baker Eddy. They have the writings of this guy. They have Joseph Smith's books. They have a, 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 a New World Translation Bible. They, it's always, they always go contrary and copy God. That's what they try to do. And then let's realize that Satan tried to stop Jesus from paying for sin. And you know, uh, I, I, any... Y'all know who J. Vernon McGee is? Does anybody here know who J. Vernon McGee is? One of the great Bible teachers. He went, he was at Dallas Seminary long ago, and then he was Church of the Open Door in Los Angeles, and he has Through the Bible radio ministry. I haven't heard it in a long time, but I used to listen to it. But the way he talks, you know, he always says, like, how God is making sure everything happens. And I always think of the book of Ruth. And so Ruth, if, you, if Ruth doesn't get with Boaz, there's no Redeemer that takes you to, to, to David on to Christ. And so here's Ruth, it says she's walking around, and it says she just so happened to go into the field of Boaz. And J. Vernon McGee said, oh, good thing she made it. You know, and the, the thing, the truth is, she's going to be there, and it's going to work because God's in control. So let's realize Satan can try, try to stop Jesus from paying for sin, but he can't do it. It's, it's too late. He was destroyed on the cross. Satan is destroyed on the cross. He's evil. He's dangerous. We draw near to God. We put on the armor of God. But just remember, he's, he, he's, uh, he's destroyed. He's defeated. And he knows it.